Hey everyone, this is Alex Kassar, and I'd like to welcome you to this new episode of Stay Current Pediatric Surgery, once again in collaboration with the Behind the Knife podcast. As you may have noticed all over social media, September is Women in Medicine Month, and the theme happens to be trailblazers, advocates, and leaders. During the APSA meeting earlier this year, we had the opportunity to interview a panel of women who wear these hats and many more in their daily lives. I hope you enjoy listening to Dr. Katherine Anderson, Dr. Diana Farmer, and Dr. Marion Henry as they share their stories of flatheads from breaking glass ceilings and paving the way for women in pediatric surgery. We are truly lucky to stand on the shoulders of giants. Stay Current is a multimedia publication designed to keep healthcare professionals up to date on standards of care and new emerging ideas. This chapter is created and edited by Todd Ponsky, Alex Kassar, Alex Gibbons, and Ray Hengen, and is recorded and produced at Cincinnati Children's Hospital in Cincinnati, Ohio. Today, our guests are a panel of phenomenal surgeons and leaders. Dr. Katherine Anderson attended Cambridge University, where she earned a Bachelor and Master's of Arts before moving to the United States. She then attended Harvard Medical School, followed by an internship in pediatric medicine at Boston Children's Hospital because she was denied a surgical internship. After a year, she joined the Georgetown University Hospital General Surgery Residency, but left after two years due to gender discrimination. After working in community hospitals with a higher volume of operative time, she completed a pediatric surgery fellowship at Children's National Medical Center. She went on to become Professor and Chair of Surgery at Children's National, Surgeon-in-Chief at Children's Hospital in Los Angeles, Chair of the Surgery Section of the American Academy of Pediatrics. She's on the Editorial Board of the Journal of Pediatric Surgery. She was the first woman to rise in the ranks of the American College of Surgeons and the American Pediatric Surgical Association. On top of all of this, she was a surgeon scientist with research interests in esophageal replacement. We also have Dr. Diana Farmer, who was one of the first guests on Behind the Knife back in June 2015, episode 11. She is an internationally renowned fetal and neonatal surgeon, chair of the Department of Surgery at UC Davis, and a very active surgeon scientist. She earned her bachelor's at Wellesley College in Massachusetts, followed by her MD at the University of Washington. She then completed her general surgery residency at UC San Francisco, followed by pediatric surgery fellowship at the Children's Hospital of Michigan. Among many honors, she was elected to the Institute of Medicine of the National Academies, one of the highest honors in medicine. Finally, we are joined by Dr. Marion Henry, Associate Professor of Surgery and Pediatrics at the University of Arizona and Surgeon-in-Chief at Banner Diamond Children's Hospital. She completed her bachelor's degree at Princeton University, followed by medical school at Stanford, and general surgery training at Stanford University and Yale, where she obtained her master's in public health. She finished her pediatric surgery fellowship at the Children's National Medical Center. Dr. Henry was an active duty surgeon in the Navy for nine years, earning the rank of commander. She is extremely active in advocacy efforts for the American College of Surgeons and the American Pediatric Surgery Association, and is a leader in the Association of Women Surgeons. So Dr. Anderson, why don't you get us started here? So who is Benji Brooks and and what is the society? Benji Brooks was um, one of the first female members of APSA, first, first female pediatric surgeons, period. And she was one of the first people who got actual 
training from Dr. Robert Gross. Now, Dr. Robert Gross was a wonderful surgeon, a great human being, and a great innovator, as I'm, I know you're aware. But he'd never trained a woman. And by reputation, he had, uh, um, he had prejudice against doing so. Dr. Charles Janeway was the chief of pediatrics at the Boston Children's Hospital and was a, a contemporary of Dr. Gross. And one day he went up to Dr. Gross and he said, Dr. Gross, I have this resident who wants to be a pediatric surgeon. And would you train this person? And Dr. Gross, of course, assumed that this Benji Brooks was a male. So he said, sure. No, no interview. Everything was very informal in those days. So the first day Benji Brooks arrived, and that was when Dr. Gross discovered that she was a woman. But he trained her anyway. She was from Texas, and she was along with a few others who were the pioneers. I had the great fortune to be in the second generation of female pediatric surgeons. I don't know. Perhaps it's not really great fortune considering my age now, but um, we uh, there were a very small group. And one of the papers in the, those early days was a paper about not just lopping out the spleen of a child who had splenic trauma. And it was routine that we all did that. And there was a paper presented on a series, and I can't remember who the author was or uh, how many patients they had, but they had an enormous success rate and were presenting that of the conservative management of uh, ruptured spleen in children. And Benji Brooks got up and she said, and I wish I, I can't, I can't mimic an American accent, <laughs> and I certainly can't mimic a Texas accent. <laughs> she got up in her inimitable way, and she said, you know, I've been doing this for years, and she said, I got up and talked about this uh, in a previous year. And she said, she was very salty, she said, well, I presented this several years ago, and I got an immediate response from a number of people, but I can't tell you what they said because there were gentlemen present. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's my story about uh, Benji. So I guess, Dr. Anderson, if you were part of the second generation, I guess I'm part of the third generation of women in pediatric surgery. And I do remember that there were a few of us who would meet uh, in one of these, just, just like this, one of the breaks or sometime after the meeting was over. In those days, there were usually two alternatives for the free afternoon. That was a day when we had free afternoons at APSA. And they were always golf or tennis. So a few of us women got together and we'd sit in the back of the room and say, well, you know, we really don't play golf or tennis. Maybe we can come up with some other activities. And this went on for a few years that we would talk about that we wanted something else to do and we wanted an opportunity for women to get together. In the very beginning, 
the when we asked for permission to get a room, we were essentially told we didn't want any more of these splinter groups to form in APSA. They had uh, described splinter groups uh, in the college. So then we got smart and said, well, we, I guess we won't ask for a room. We'll just start doing it ourselves. And we started very simply, uh, never as a formal organization, but uh, just getting together for lunch or an alternative. We participated in ideas. We put out ideas for either spa afternoons or just lunch. I think we arranged, I think uh, Rebecca Myers helped us arrange kayaking one time. Uh, and we continued on in a fairly informal way. Finally, uh, APSA was willing to uh, give us a room and put us on the uh, program. We thought that was a big advance. We still had to buy our own lunch, but we were okay with that. Um, but that was a big step. And at some point in the course of that, I'd probably say maybe two or three years into it, we decided that we should probably have a name. And <clears throat> we did a little bit of research on indeed, was it was Benji the first pediatric surgeon? And there was some a little bit of uh, controversy, some research, some looking into other things, but the consensus really was that indeed she was the first pediatric surgeon. And that's how we self appointed ourselves the Benji Brooks Society. And then I think I'll pass the microphone to Marion Henry, who I would I would say brought us home. So tell tell um, the team about sort of the recent success that you've helped us create. Sure. So I'll tell about the recent success and then say, but I want to say first that my story starts, I'm not going to say what generation I am because I don't know, it all gets blurry. <laughs> but I, when I fell in love with surgery as a third year medical student and went to my first American College of Surgeons as a fourth year medical student, Dr. Katherine Anderson was the president of the American College of Surgeons. So that was a pretty uh, incredible role model and an incredible year to attend as a medical student. And at that time, Dr. Farmer was at UCSF still, and our, uh, our medical schools or hospitals were briefly joined. And so I remember pediatric surgery meetings, phone meetings, teleconferences with uh, the joint departments of pediatric surgery between Stanford and UCSF. And so that is my connection to these women with me here and how I got very inspired in pediatric surgery and involved early on in being able to attend these Benji Brooks luncheons. And then the first year I got on the program officially was the year Dr. Talukian was president and I was a lab resident at Yale in Larry Moss's lab, but with Dr. Talukian right down the hallway. So that was a very exciting time to be coming through the whole process of you know, training in pediatric surgery. So I have been attending those luncheons since that time frame. And uh, last year at the get-together, the question was posed, do we need this anymore? Are there enough women now in pediatric surgery that, that this is obsolete and not necessary? And I would say that there was not, I think, a single person in the room who said, no, we don't need this anymore. There was a very loud voice of women that said, yes, there are still issues and there is still work to be done and we do need this. 
And so we discussed then what which form should it take? Should we stay the Benji Brooks Society and move outside of APSA and work on our own as a separate society of women in pediatric surgery? And we decided instead that really women needed to be at the table and in the room where it happens and that the way we could make the most impact was to petition to be a true APSA committee so that we could be not only on the program for a luncheon, but on the program for workshops and educational sessions and uh, plenary sessions. And uh, so we wrote up a, a letter to the Board of Governors requesting a full committee that was dedicated to women in surgery. And they approved it so that the committee is now officially a, an APSA committee, the Benji Brooks Women in Surgery Committee. You mentioned that Dr. Anderson um, was the president of ACS, and she was the first female president of ACS and also first female president of APSA. You were just making a joke about your head being flat from breaking all these glass ceilings. Um, tell us, you know, people don't always talk about um, the adversity that they face and, and you being a groundbreaker like this. How, how was it to go through those challenges and how much do you appreciate uh, how we've progressed now with the Benji Brooks Society and with all these women in surgery who are mentors to women like us here who are um, aspiring to be pediatric surgeons? One of the things I'd like to say is that for me, one of the major reasons that we should, con we should have a, a group of women together is that I kind of got tired of the old boy network. You know, people would be sitting around a table and I would make, and this was in my uh, work as a, as a surgeon, and uh, I would make a suggestion, and there was no response. And then five minutes later, a man would bring up the same question. Oh, Dr. So-and-so, that's a wonderful idea. And I just sat there thinking, men network, and they've always networked, and I found that as I went through my career, yes, I was comfortable with men. I had to be because I was often the only woman in the room or in the gathering, etc. But I also gravitated towards the wives, and I felt extremely comfortable with them. And so that was an additional reason for, for me to be... Um, so much a, a part of the women in, in pediatric surgery. Now, as far as prejudice, I don't talk about things that happened in, um, in my, um, not so much in my medical uh, student career, because I don't think I ever encountered any prejudice, either at Cambridge, um, where we were a class of 120 students per year and there were eight women, more than the Harvard school that I joined halfway through. But when I, um, as I think I, I used this anecdote when, uh, during the, the last meeting, that when I asked Francis Moore uh, if he would give me a surgical residency when and if um, I came back to Boston, and he said he'd rather give me a job in anesthesia. That really was a big jolt for me. 
but it didn't it didn't deter me and uh, I went to George Washington and Brian Blades wouldn't give me a job because he said oh you'll have to start again as an intern and I'd already was in the middle of a pediatric internship at the time but Georgetown did he gave me a a position and I really can't say that that there was much prejudice, certainly not from my fellow residents. There were, there were some men who thought they were God's gift to women, as many women find out when they join a man's world, and that's where the Me Too movement came from, I suppose. But I just shrugged it off because I knew that in order to get the same distance of a man as a man, I had to be better. And as women usually say, that's not hard. Pardon me. You can edit that out. <laughs> oh, no, we're going to leave that. That's precious. <laughs> when, I, when I finally finished, I wondered how men patients would be. Never had any problem. I was often mistaken for a nurse, and that was okay. You sort of get used to that. And I didn't, I didn't let it offend me. Um, but there were many instances where there were, there were um, men surgeons who uh, were a little physical, leave it at that, but there were never any patients, any men, male patients. They were just so grateful, and they were more grateful because women do talk more to their patients and their families and so on. And um, so I never had any prejudice since then. And as I went up the ranks in the AAP and then APSA and, and, and the college, I really didn't find that there was any difference in the way I was treated. So hopefully that, that helped other women. And I don't know what Diana has to contribute to that since she's younger than I am. Well, there's no question that, uh, Kathy, people like yourselves uh, made it easier for those of us that followed and that the, I think being the first of something is often challenging. It's not that you uh, seek to be the first. I, I'm the first woman fetal surgeon. I only aspired to being a fetal surgeon. I never thought about, as I'm sure you really didn't either, think, you know, make a plan to be the first woman president of APSA or the first woman president of the college. You just aspired to contribute to those organizations like anybody else and uh, became the first of those. But I do think it helps others, even, the, even if it's not a goal, it does break the mold. It makes people realize, oh, it's okay. I do think that there was extra pressure to be even more excellent than average, if that is such a thing. <laughs> and I think there is additional importance to serve those positions with distinction because they're now are the non-believers who are paying attention as well. I think that's where the extra pressure comes, that 
did this person get the job because they were deserving or did they get the job because someone paved the way just for a woman or just for a minority or something like that? So I think uh, for the early pioneers, there is that extra pressure to make sure that you, um, A, deserve the positions and demonstrate that you're worthy in them. Eventually, the time will come when, I hope, when, just as Martin Luther King said, you know, I have a dream and I hope that in the future my children will not be judged by the color of their skin but by the quality of their character. And I think we all hope that uh, eventually that will be the case. But in the meantime, it's important to go that extra mile. I'd like to make one more uh, comment before Marion uh, tells us about her experience. But women have been beaten down in society for so long. Women have even questioned themselves. And I have had numerous young women come up to me and say, you know, why am I doing this? I talked to uh, the, the uh, pediatric surgeon from Bahrain yesterday, and she she was so typical of many women in societies that are beaten down. And she said, I just wonder whether, why sh can I do it? Can I really be everything that I want to be? So women have a little bit of an inferiority complex, and that's where... I think we can help other women get over that inferiority complex. There's nothing inferior about a woman. Now, I would just like to add to that that particularly my work in global surgery and overseas work has really brought that point that you're making to sharp focus, that we are so privileged in this society to have the freedom that we women do um, and it hasn't been that many generations uh, where women were afforded those same opportunities for education and the like. And we should never take it for granted because certainly in many societies around the world, um, it is uh, the expectation for women is only to be there to service men and raise the children and et cetera. And that uh, we should not take for granted the enormous opportunities that we have here. And therefore, I think we do have an extra responsibility. The wonderful opportunity that the the society had and the committee now has it is both to you know share and celebrate those who came before us because they really did pave a way. You know, I have not been the first in in anything, which is great. <laughs> Actually, I guess that's not true. I'm the first female chair of the Health Policy and Advocacy Committee because it's only that many years old. <laughs> but otherwise, I. Um, I'm happy to say I have not been the first because there are people who paved the way for for me to get there. And that doesn't mean there are not still challenges. And I see uh, leaders ahead of me, women leaders ahead of me face those challenges. And, uh, you know, there are still inequalities in terms of leadership position in particular in, in surgery in general. And uh, we hope to look at exactly where we are in the world of pediatric surgery with the status of women and what, what leadership positions they hold. And um, we're, as a 50th anniversary project, uh, want to tackle that project. But but we still we still face challenges that are somewhat different, somewhat the same, and sometimes we raise the questions that impact everyone, um, both men and women, and 
but we're willing to raise the questions of how do you um, manage all the aspects of life that you want to manage, whether that's research and career and home life, whatever home life looks like for you. Um, I think it also means we can help mentor and sponsor not just women, but deserving men and women who otherwise are underrepresented. And um, so the, you know, we have that both uh, privilege to thank those who've paved the way for us, but responsibility to continue to help others um, overcome the challenges that those ahead of us faced and and overcame for us. Uh, and I think that's one of the wonderful things about having a committee of this nature is is we can we can do those that that dual um, goal of of both recognizing and working for even better times for everyone. I was struck at the meeting. There was great and lively conversation, and there was still lots to talk about, and that we're not finished, and that I was very pleased that the decision had been made to continue. And uh, I, I remember uh, you made you asked the question about balance, and I remember making the comment then. But I, when I was a an undergraduate, I went to a women's college, and I remember getting the advice at that time that you can indeed do it all, and that we should not limit our ambitions in any way, no matter whom you are, and that you just maybe can't do it all at the same time. And the advice then was you could have a social life and a career and a family life, but you probably couldn't have all three of those things at the same time. And however that's defined, I think that's really true. But I was very pleased at the meeting the other morning that there was still so much lively interaction. And there are now so many women that if we went around the room and introduced each other, which is what we used to do, that it would it would take three hours. So that was great. So it was really fun. I think I want to put a caution in because having been one of the only women in a group of men for whatever reason, uh, not just in surgery, but the, the t there can be a tendency among women who are the only ones Maybe it's a token, or, you know, it's a developing field, to basically not help other women. And that I have been subjected to. And it's extremely disappointing to me that that would happen, that a woman, you know, feels special because she's cherished by her group of men around her and she doesn't want to let anybody else in. And we've got to caution against that. Yes, I, I would share similar experiences as I went through. And I'm, but I'm happy to say there's less of that, I'm, I think. I'm seeing, yeah, I think we, I think particularly I'll speak for APSA, that I would say that people have been great with this. I remember, in fact, Dr. Anderson giving me the advice, advising me to start contributing, start actually contributing to APSA and the APSA Foundation and the college. And no one had ever suggested that to me before. It was very interesting. It just had never occurred to me that that was something you should do. And how glad I was after I started doing that. And there were years I felt like I could contribute more or less, but I've made it ever since that day. I have made it a habit to make sure that I contributed to the organizations that mattered to me. And just you kind of need somebody once in a while to tell you 
what are the things to do and, and what's right and and what are the unspoken sort of social norms of uh, moving forward. So I really appreciated that, that girl-to-girl advice. Well, I'm very glad that one of my advice has been taken by somebody. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the roles of, of a committee like the Benji Brooks Women in Surgery Committee is to help lift all women and so to help combat against that potential um, you know, problem of, of a woman not not lifting others around around her or or you know any other underrepresented person who who has a position um and we had an interesting discussion on on tokenism in the in the committee or in the uh lunch meeting uh yesterday um but to that end the committee you know aims to put together lists of women speakers and so that someone doesn't have to rely on the one woman they know or the one person they know who can speak on this or the one department that has people, but that we have an, an ability to sort of have resources throughout the country, throughout programs, academic and community, large and small, and really, um, you know, lift all, lift all women as well as all members of APSA to, to contribute as much as they can and, and, really, you know, call on the wisdom of all rather than just the wisdom of few who get called on frequently. And that's actually a great transition to kind of the question I had. And I wanted Dr. Anderson to repeat the story you told about your lapel pin, because that's also in talking about the APSA logo this year has been changed to be not divisive and very inclusive. There's no genders, there's no race, nothing. Everyone's represented with this logo. You can talk about the meaning of that too, but then also I'd love for our listeners to hear the story about your lapel pin because I thought that was great. Okay. Well, as, as you know, I was the first woman president of APSA, and I had been a little bit irritated for some years because I'd been in APSA since 1973, and I became president in 1999, so it's quite a, a period of reflection, reflection for me. And the, the APSA logo was, Lucian Leap, I think, told the story this morning about how that came about. He just got uh, somebody to, uh, Keith Ashcraft, to, to pose. But it, it bothered me. It was an irritant. And... Hardy Hendren is is a hero of mine and has been, as I said, for a long, long time. Very, very supportive of women and particularly of me and Pat Donahoe. And he just thought it was offensive to have a woman president having to wear a man's profile on her uh, on her lapel, and so he by himself. Um, found somebody, got me to, my husband to take a picture of me holding something uh, resembling, vaguely remember, re- resembling a baby. And, uh, and he had this pin made, which, uh, which um, Diana is showing you, and every female president since then. But as I said in the, in the, uh, in the panel discussion, that was really as sexist as the male logo before. So I brought up, it was quite a few years ago that I brought up uh, in, in a, a business meeting that we really ought to change the, uh, the logo. And I think that was probably 
about seven or eight years ago. Um, and, and, and this has come to fruition this year. So I will just uh, corroborate that story that Dr. Anderson would come to the microphone at the business meetings and uh, suggest that the logo be changed. And at least for the first three years, you were roundly not quite booed. It was a little more polite than that. Um, although Dr. Ashcraft, I remember once coming to the mic saying something something close to over my dead body. <laughs> um, but it's what was interesting to me today was to see how well received the new logo has been. Um, there has been not been any wholesale walking out or complaints about it. I think it was socialized well over time. I think the uh, 50th anniversary committee made a point of let's tie it to the 50th anniversary, that it's appropriate time for a change, and it has gone very smoothly. But at the first couple of meetings that you presented it, it was not at all well received. There was a feeling that APSA did not need to change, that we should stick with these traditions. It was pretty vocal. Actually, I don't remember that. I really don't, and thank you for telling me about that because I got, I had become so inured to criticism that I just let it go over my head, and uh, so thank you. Yeah. No, they didn't make it easy on you, <laughs> Kathy, about that, and uh, but I, uh, I do think that 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 quality of being come becoming somewhat numb to the criticism is actually. Um, somewhat common. And uh, so it, it's important to have historians look at history from a variety of different perspectives. I can only add that I do remember the negativity to the uh, to the commentary and that as a younger uh, woman coming up in APSA, that was somewhat distressing. And um, so I was very pleased to see that the change in the last few years as they work towards this new logo and that it's not just a gender change. It is really designed to be a, a, a surgeon of any gender, race, um, and the child as well, you know, it is equally inclusive and that that, um, you know, that, that that new logo has really been able to include everyone in, in our community um, so that it is, um, so that we are inclusive and diverse and uh, keeping to those principles. I think that there is a danger of the old people wanting to hang on to power. And I think we should get the heck out of the way and leave it to people like you too. I think that's a perfect note to end on. Thank you all so much for this tremendous honor. It is a remarkable privilege to be in your company, and I believe this will uh, wholly inspire a next generation to come. Thank you so much. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Stay Current. You can listen, watch, or read our content at any time by downloading the Stay Current app. See you next time.